Bill Barnwell, you've returned against good counsel, arguably, <laughs> to cover the NFC with us after covering the AFC yesterday. So thank you for letting us once again copy your homework. <laughs> well, it's a copycat league, Pablo. So just happy to fit in. So yesterday, Bill, we covered what felt like quarterback Coachella, right? It was Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow, on and on in the AFC with all of these headliners, these big giant names in big font at the top of the music festival poster. So what is the NFC looking like to you by comparison? Well, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFC who are in really small font. And that's fine. Some of them I've never heard of before. Some of them I feel a little old and sad because I have heard of them and I'm embarrassed they're so low on the poster. Yeah, God help the one person who is swaying with their eyes closed, really feeling Carson Wentz in the Sahara tent. That may have been Aaron Rodgers watching Imagine Dragons at Burning Man this year, Papa. <laughs> but Bill, to your point, like Aaron Rodgers is in this conference, right? Like the old guys here, they really, I mean, I don't want to call Tom Brady Sugar Ray or anything, but like these are these are names that we've been watching since the 90s, it feels like. It, it certainly does. And it feels like they're kind of the only people who have a realistic shot of winning in the NFC. I think the top tier are all quarterbacks who have been plastered on our televisions in advertising this entire offseason. Matthew Stafford with the Rams, Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, and Tom Brady doing crypto ads until crypto ads were no longer a thing with the (laughs) Buccaneers. And I think they're the clear top three in the NFC. And then there's a second tier of teams who are just a little bit off. The Eagles and 49ers have major questions about their quarterback. The Cardinals and Cowboys have questions about everything besides their quarterback. And frankly, given those are seven teams and there are seven playoff spots in the NFC, even given how much turnover there is in the NFL from year to year, it would be a surprise if even two of those teams miss the postseason this upcoming year. And then there's just the human fire fest that is Daniel Jones. (laughs) People will be selling Daniel Jones merch ironically on on eBay in a couple of years, Pablo. <laughs> we were there. <laughs> it happened. We were there when Joe Judge quarterback sneaked Jake Fromm on third and 14. <laughs> Truly something that felt like a hallucination. Yeah. <laughs> so this entire week has felt like a multi-day football podcast festival in its own right. Bill is fair, if you will. But I really do hope that you have stayed hydrated and legally caffeinated because today on day two of our two-part NFL preview special, Bill Barnwell has officially heard your applause. He is coming back on stage for an encore as we all demand to be smarter about the National Football Conference. And if we clap hard enough, He might even tell us who should be playing the Super Bowl in February. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, September 8th. This is ESPN Daily.
Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Bill, it is obvious where we should start in the NFC. And they play tonight in the NFL season opener. They won the Super Bowl. They have Matthew Stafford at quarterback. They have an MVP caliber receiver in Cooper Cup. They brought back Aaron Donald on his two-year extension. And so, what are the Rams to you this season? They're weirdly not the best example of their own philosophy, right? Strangely, this is a team that really became known for that Les Snead shirt with yes. SM picks on it. Yep. And there's more to that story. I don't think it's quite that simple. But yes, they did trade draft picks for players, and it did help them win a Super Bowl. And yet this offseason, as other teams were adopting that philosophy, the Rams didn't really do that. They lost Von Miller to the Bills. Andrew Whitworth, their star left tackle, retired. But when they made one major addition, it was a free agent. It was wide receiver Allen Robinson. The Rams are pretty much coming back with the core of talent they had a year ago winning the Super Bowl. And so how much of a problem is that, Bill, if they won the Super Bowl? I don't think it's a problem because they have a solution that we don't normally see in the NFL. It reminds me a lot of the sort of LeBron James NBA teams where in every single season, a veteran that has a big name gets cut or comes on the trade market, and somehow mm. they end up going to wherever LeBron James plays. Yes. For the Rams, last year that was signing Odell Beckham for the league minimum after he was cut by the Browns. It was convincing Eric Weddle, who was playing pickup basketball and retired, to come out of retirement and be their starting safety and their defensive play caller in the Super Bowl. Whether it's Sean McVay, whether it's playing in Los Angeles, whether it's the possibility of starring in AT&T commercials with Lily, whatever it is about the Rams, they attract players in midseason who want to come play for them. And I think that's going to happen again in 2022. But the guy in that commercial, Matt Stafford, his elbow injury, mm -hmm. like the connectivity of this offense, how much are you worried about that? I think they're at three bars right now, Pablo. I, it's a little bit mysterious and a little bit concerning, but he apparently had this problem last year and they still won the Super Bowl. So can it really be that bad? But that question of how bad could it really be, it does feel like that is what is being asked in San Francisco right now, Bill. <laughs> because the Niners decided to keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. They could not find a trade partner for Jimmy Garoppolo. And so here he is backing up Trey Lance, who is the guy they traded all of those first round picks to acquire their franchise cornerstone, ostensibly. So what is happening here? What is your sense of how risky this move is or isn't? Okay. 
So there's three scenarios depending on who you believe and what do you believe about what the San Francisco 49ers believe about Trey Lance. So in the scenario where Trey Lance is on pace to be a superstar and everyone is thrilled with his development, this is just a cake on top of the icing on top of the previous cake you had. The Niners know they can win with Jimmy Garoppolo, who is 31 and 14 as a starter during his time at San Francisco. He's going to make pretty reasonable backup money as a result of his new deal unless he comes into play. He is the security blanket, the safety valve. If Trey Lance happens for some reason, which we don't expect, to not turn into an immediate superstar. So that's injury insurance, in other words. Yes, that is all Jimmy Garoppolo is there for, as long as you believe that Trey Lance is about to become an MVP candidate, which I will say I'm pretty optimistic about Trey Lance myself. But scenario two is what happens if the 49ers maybe are a little skeptical of Trey Lance, if they're not super enthused by a guy who has not even thrown 400 pass attempts since leaving high school (laughs) over the past four years. Trey Lance might not be ready. And if he's not ready, adding Jimmy Garoppolo gives you that security blanket if, say, your locker room is a gas that you traded away a quarterback who nearly took you to two Super Bowls in three seasons. In which case, Jimmy Garoppolo is less injury insurance and more like a human prenup. Like, this <laughs> union may not go as well as we hope, so let's just make sure we have this just in case. I suspect there are many people who have held Jimmy Garoppolo as their backup plan if their marriage did not work out over the past few seasons. <laughs> and the third scenario, Pablo, is that as much as we love to believe that NFL teams plan things to the nth degree, that they have an offseason plan and a next offseason plan, the Niners were kind of stuck with a guy they didn't really want, and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have a trade market. And I think, to me, that is the most likely scenario of these three. Jimmy Garoppolo might have been traded in February or March, but could not because he underwent surgery. Over the next several months, we saw NFL teams fill all of the holes at quarterback they had with guys like Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield and Kenny Pickett. And by the time it got to August, Jimmy Garoppolo was allowed the ability to look for a trade, could not find a team that wanted to give him their starting job, and decided, why not stay in a place where I'm beloved and stick with the 49ers for the same amount of money he might get going to play somewhere else in 2022. So, As much as people would love to believe that NFL teams have things planned this offseason and next offseason and the offseason after that, that is unfortunately not the reality when you actually talk to NFL teams. And in this case, I don't think the Niners had that plan with Jimmy Garoppolo, but it just happened to break this way. So what you're basically saying here is that Kyle Shanahan is just shrugging and like saying, (laughs) yeah, I I guess. He's not saying I do, put it that way, to anybody involved. (laughs) Yeah, I guess instead of I do does feel like a level above what Seahawks fans are feeling in terms of excitement about their team this season. And look, we cannot cover every team in depth on this pod. Um, Listeners should know that by now. So give me a thought on those Seahawks. Give me a thought also on the Cardinals, Bill, while we're at it. Boy, Pablo, I'm going to make Seahawks fans very sad. The 2021 Seahawks were 7-10, but by Football Outsiders' DVOA statistic, they were the eighth-best team in football. The last time a team with a losing record finished in the top 10 in DVOA, it was the 2016 Eagles who won the Super Bowl the following season. The Seahawks are not winning the Super Bowl. The Cardinals... 
meanwhile, have faded in each of Cliff Kingsbury's first three seasons as a head coach, going 16-8-1 during the first half of the season and 8-16 during the second half, including a blowout loss to the Rams last year in the wild card round. The Cardinals are a top-heavy team with significant depth issues and questions on the offensive line and in the secondary, which gets figured out year after year. I don't think 2022 is going to be an exception. So from the most top-heavy team now to what feels to me, Bill, like the most top-heavy division. Because the NFC South is where Tom Brady lives in his castle at the very top. And then beneath is just a bunch of stuff. But what's weird is that this offseason, Brady and uncertainty has been the story. Because he has retired, unretired, come back to camp, disappeared from camp for 11 days, and said this. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with, so we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of shit going on. So, you know, you just got to try to figure out life the best you can. And, you know, it's a uh, continuous process. And so what does he look like to you? And I say that figuratively again, but also literally. Like, what does his face literally <laughs> look like to you? So do you remember that movie, Pablo, where Matt Damon volunteered to be shrunk down? Yes. Yes. Downsizing, I believe. Downsizing. Tom Brady is doing that, but for the metaverse, where his <laughs> face is going to look look more like a metaverse face as time goes on. Oh, yeah. Just the portrait of Dorian Gray for a truly dystopian era. And for Tom Brady, this feels like a new sort of challenge where he's strangely now competing with himself or his own instinct on when to retire, which he seemed to trigger at some point during the offseason and then decided not to trigger anymore. He has nothing else to prove. He won six Super Bowls with Bill Belichick, has now won a seventh without Bill Belichick. He holds every significant statistical record for quarterbacks and was great last year. It wasn't like he was struggling last year. He was excellent during his age 44 season. And so what's happening, Bill? Why, why is he doing any of this? Maybe there is some instinct in his head that he wants to finish with another Super Bowl victory. Tom Brady is very mysterious. He's very concerned about legacy for a player who once said he does not care about legacy. But the only thing Tom Brady has left to do on this career is really stick the landing. When he retired after the season, I felt like he had. He was excellent in the playoff loss to the Rams. He had been excellent during the season. But maybe he feels like he has to end on a victory. And I think that's the concern. And for a person who is very comfortable taking real money and betting it on mysterious crypto over the past few years, Tom Brady's making his own bet this season, which is that the reward of possibly winning an eighth Super Bowl is worth the risk of looking terrible out there, which Tom Brady has never had at any point during his pro career. Nothing about Tom Brady's performance, to be clear, suggests that he's going to suddenly become a mediocre quarterback. But Brett Favre looked excellent in his first season with the Vikings, and a year later was getting benched and retiring. Peyton Manning was excellent in his next last season with the Broncos, and while they did win a Super Bowl the following year, Peyton Manning was benched for Brock Osweiler, which is an insult uh. in its own right for one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. The defense carried Manning to that Super Bowl, and Brady undoubtedly wants to follow in Manning's footsteps and finish his career with one final Super Bowl. But you get the feeling, as proud as Brady is, that the 45-year-old will only be satisfied if he's actually the one leading the way. But Bill, in fairness to Brady, right? Like, the way this season might go, it seems like the rest of the roster of the Bucks will have a lot to do with it. And that 
doesn't seem like a very stable portrait either. No, absolutely not. And I think that's been missing a little bit, sort of masked by the retirement, return, and mysterious disappearance during training camp for reasons still yet unexplained about Tom Brady. And that is that behind Tom Brady's offseason, the Bucks are in transition. So Todd Bowles taking over as head coach after being defensive coordinator and Byron Leftwich promoted into basically being the lead offensive mind with Arians retired. But even the personnel is different. Rob Gronkowski retired to do whatever Rob Gronkowski is going to do after he plays football. Mm-hmm. The offensive line is a mess right now. Both starting guards, Ali Marpet and Alex Kappa, are gone. Ryan Jensen, the excellent center, suffered a season-threatening knee injury during training camp, that offensive line is suddenly very different from the one Tom Brady enjoyed during his Super Bowl run two years ago. So with Brady presumably assuming a little bit more power after Arians has retired, I think we see more of the offense Brady ran in New England, which was about quick game and getting the ball out immediately to avoid hits and move the chains, as opposed to more of the deep passing attack we saw under Arians in order to keep the 45-year-old Brady from avoiding yet another trip to the surgeon this year. <laughs> and in the interest of nipping and tucking here, Bill, and because it is so top-heavy, do you have a way to give us a quick thought on the Panthers and the Saints and the Falcons as we round out this very weird division? Oh boy. So the Saints, I'll start there as the second-best team in this division. They were all in for the end of Drew Brees' career, which, hey, that makes sense. Drew Brees was great. Now, without Drew Brees, with Sean Payton retired, with their roster not quite as impressive as it was a couple years ago, kind of feels like they're the guy who's too old at the party. They're maxing out their Margaritaville credit card to build a team around Jameis Winston. (laughs) Which feels just like a horrifying hangover recipe. As anyone who's been to New Orleans knows, Pablo, if you never get sober, you don't have to worry about the hangover. (laughs) Elsewhere, in Carolina, as much as Matt Rule has struggled, the defense is quietly good. Before they gassed out after their Week 12 bye, they were the fourth-best defense in football by expected points added per play. But Christian McCaffrey has barely been healthy over the past two seasons, and Baker Mayfield is the ultimate question mark for the Carolina Panthers. Mm. The Falcons are going to be terrible. If you take anything (laughs) away from this podcast, take that away. The Falcons, the worst seven-win team in league history by point differential, and then lost their starting quarterback and significant contributors on offense and defense in free agency. With $65 million in dead money, (laughs) the Falcons are tanking, even if they don't realize they're tanking. So you're saying that for multiple reasons at this point, Calvin Ridley should not bet on the Falcons this season. Take the under, Calvin. Under (laughs) everything. All right, coming up, we catch a flight up north where a certain quarterback has been on a real trip of his own. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. 
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Bill, I do want to admire our restraint here and toot our own horn a little because we waited till after the break to get to Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Absolutely, Pablo. And hey... We all deal with midlife crises in different ways. Tom Brady, we just talked about Tom Brady. He stopped eating human food a few years ago. He moved to Florida, which many people do during their midlife crisis. And he's gotten more work done than a real housewife. Aaron (laughs) Rodgers kind of crammed it all into one offseason. He got a terrible tattoo. He started dating a mystical, mysterious podcaster who, to be clear, is not Joe Rogan. And started dabbling in psychedelics. Yeah, Rogers said, Bill, now famously that taking ayahuasca felt like, quote, having 100 different hands on his body, end quote, which is both the fantasy of so many NFL defenses and also something that raises a larger question about whether he can repeat what he also called just the best season he's ever had in his life after the ayahuasca experience last year. Can he do that again now? I'm a little concerned. And you mentioned those 100 different hands on Aaron Rodgers' body. I would hope that two of those hands would make for a functional NFL wide receiver (laughs) because I'm not sure Aaron Rodgers has one at the moment. And we all talked about Devontae Adams being traded very early in this offseason, right after Aaron Rodgers signed an extension to the Raiders for a first-round pick. And that was a decision that, in a vacuum, didn't seem to make sense. But we all sort of figured at some point the Packers would add a significant receiver to their roster. Well, free agency came and went. The draft came and went. Summer came and went, and we're here in September, and Aaron Rodgers is apparently wearing a T-shirt in the locker room that says, Rodgers, Lazard 23, make Green Bay great again, (laughs) which, number one, you were the quarterback of the Packers for the last decade, so if you had to make them great again, you seem to be at fault for that. And number two, Alan Lazard is a former undrafted free agent who's had decent numbers over the last three seasons for the Packers, topping out at 513 receiving yards last year. He does not appear to be ready to step into the number one receiving role for the Green Bay Packers. Not the ideal running mate, you would say. Put it this way. Devontae Adams is calling Derek Carr a Hall of Famer. Maybe this is Aaron Rodgers' response to that. But under any circumstance, the Packers have a major question at one of the most important positions in football heading into what is really an all-in season with Aaron Rodgers. And so as it sounds like you're envisioning a step back for Green Bay, Bill, is that right? They're going to be good. They're going to be like 11 and six this year. Okay. Yeah. Instead of 13 and four, that's fair. I do want to ask you to do something a little daunting because when I think of the other team in this division that interests me, the Detroit Lions, I think of their coach, Dan Campbell. I think of a man who loves the irrational motivational speech. Could you try and construct a rational motivational speech for that team? (laughs) Like what would you tell Dan Campbell based on actual evidence and reason? I'm not sure Dan Campbell believes in being unlucky. It seems like something he would spit out of his mouth like so much chaw. Yes. But the Lions were much better than their record a year ago. 
They've lost so many games in bizarre ways. The classic one everyone remembers is that 66-yard Justin Tucker field goal that bounced off the uprights and in as opposed to out. Tucker's ready. There's the snap. Spot down. Kick on the way. It is up and it is off the crossbar and through. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? And the Ravens are celebrating on the field. The longest field goal in the history of the NFL has just beaten the Detroit Lions. They were about to beat the Ravens and then didn't get a victory for another month and a half. And you know what? Losing to a Justin Tucker field goal? Well, that's fine. Justin Tucker is the best kicker in football. Pablo, they lost on last second field goals to the Bears and the Vikings. (laughs) who have a trope about how bad their kickers are late in games over the last decade. The Lions missed a would-be game-winning field goal in overtime against the Steelers, which not only cost the Lions their first victory, but also pushed the Steelers into the postseason two months later. The Lions went 2-5-1 and one in games decided by seven points or less, when with a tiny bit more luck and a bounce here or there on field goals, They could have been five and three in those same games, and Campbell might have been a coach of the year candidate. Instead, he was just a press conference of the year candidate. Yeah, he became known for quotes like, it doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes, I will beat your ass. Which we can't extrapolate to his feelings about randomness, I think. Yeah. A very a, a very disconcerting warning to people out there who do have one ass cheek and, and three toes. <laughs> it's hard enough for them already. And now they have to worry about Dan Campbell chasing them down. I Yeah, those sloths. All those sloths. <laughs> those half ass sloths. Dan Campbell will come to the forest and beat a sloth <laughs> if necessary. But he, he he might be busy this January, Pablo, because the Lions could get a lot better very quickly. They faced the league's second toughest schedule of opposing offenses last year. The Lions themselves, the third most injured team in football and the seventh youngest team in football over the last 15 seasons, according to ESPN stats and info. So healthier, a little older, a little wiser, a little smarter about maybe which one asked people to attack perhaps. (laughs) But I think the Lions could be a surprising team in the NFC this year. And not to ask you to half-ass these answers, but the Bears and the Vikings, an executive very brief summary would sound like what? Well, I'm optimistic as well about the Vikings competing for a playoff berth under new head coach Kevin O'Connell, although for the 17th consecutive season, there are concerns about their secondary and their offensive line. And for the Bears, I've been very optimistic this entire podcast, not optimistic about the Bears, who I'm not totally convinced aren't trying to murder Justin Fields. (laughs) Uh, So let's move on to something light. The NFC East. Yes. So in the NFC East, and I say this, Bill, we've talked about this before. I say this as someone who came into football with a rooting interest in the Giants. Like, is this just the worst division in the entire sport at this point? I mean, we are two years removed, Pablo, from an ESPN Daily guest winning the division as a starting quarterback. So (laughs) I I think that tells you that things have been better for the NFC East. And the only thing I'll say is this. On paper, the NFC East does not look great. But in general, we're pretty bad at judging which divisions are going to be great and not so great heading into a year. And take last season as the perfect example. The AFC North... I think would have been the lead for the best division in football. They had just sent three of their four teams to the postseason with at least 10 wins. And 
2021, all three of those teams missed the playoffs. The 4-11-1 Cincinnati Bengals not just won the division, but made it to the Super Bowl. So the short answer after listening to about an hour and a half of podcasts over the past few days is we don't really know anything. But I do want to understand the Dak Prescott question better and where we are with him, right? Because last season, he was outstanding, right? 37 touchdowns, 10 picks. The season ending on maybe the most confusing play call I've ever seen. A quarterback drop the middle, 14 seconds on the clock, no timeouts, down six, and this happens. Prescott in the gun, runs up the middle to the 30, to the 25 and slides. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, Two, one, did he spike it in time? Didn't get it spiked in time. So I know that this is supposed to be the best team in this division, but how confusing are the Cowboys to you at this moment? They are as confusing as Jerry Jones's collection of art that hangs in a football stadium where everyone is drunk all the time. (laughs) I look at the Cowboys and maybe they feel the same way. I can't say, but... When I look at them, I don't see how they can be quite as good in 2022 as they were in 2021. Mm. To start, they spent this offseason in a salary cap trap of their own doing. And I will briefly explain how they manipulate the NFL salary cap. Each and every year, they give their young players long, expensive contracts, and then they restructure those deals every year. As long as those players play well and continue to stay healthy, everything's great create short-term cap space, kick some money into the future, everyone's happy. Mm. But once they get injured, they start to struggle, it becomes very messy in terms of dead money to move on from them. And the problem is that the Cowboys hit that point with Ezekiel Elliott and Tyron Smith after the 2021 season. For years, the Cowboys had been restructuring those deals to create cap space. This offseason, very conspicuously, they did not, which tells me, number one, the Cowboys expect to move on from both those players after the 2022 season. And number two, they had to go elsewhere to create cap savings. So they salary dumped Amari Cooper on the Browns. They cut Lyle Collins. They lost Randy Gregory to the Broncos. On top of that, The Cowboys are already dealing with injuries. Michael Gallup is questionable for week one as he returns from a tour in ACL. And Tyron Smith, their excellent left tackle who we just mentioned, is expected to miss most of the upcoming season after tearing his hamstring in practice. And so it sounds like the Cowboys kicked the can down the road and now finally the can has decided to kick back. (laughs) Yes, the can has grown a foot and is kicking the Cowboys back and In this scenario, you would say, hey, the offense might be a mess, but the defense could maybe shoulder some of the workload. I'm also concerned about the defense, less in terms of personnel, more just in terms of how they won last year. They created 34 takeaways and scored nine return touchdowns, the most in football by a considerable margin in each category. It's just so difficult to create that many turnovers year after year. As an example, from 2015 to 2020, 17 teams created 30 or more takeaways in a season. None of them, not a single one of those 17 teams repeated that feat the following year. So for Jerry Jones, if you're maybe a little concerned about the receiving core, the offensive lines banged up, the defense maybe not as optimistic as you were a year ago, Jerry Jones has a solution. Just rub some more Ezekiel Elliott on it and that will solve your problem. Now it is still a fact. We go as Zeke goes. I know it's a lot on Dak's shoulders, but we go as Zeke goes. He's very capable of being everything we've ever wanted to be. 
Yeah, I just love, Bill, that for all of his wealth and art and championships, Jerry Jones still loves getting his takes off. Like, it's just a gift to us in this business, honestly. But, okay, speaking of these takes, the Eagles situation is triggering all sorts of them. Because Jalen Hurts is 24. He's in his third year in the league. How should we think of Jalen Hurts right now? It's really interesting because it's evolving so quickly. I mean, in his first season, we talked about him on this very show. Jalen Hurts was just the guy who wasn't Carson Wentz, which is a very popular thing to be in Philadelphia, as you may have discovered (laughs) from Nick Foles' career over the past few seasons. Last year, the Eagles were sort of in transition. They were getting rid of Carson Wentz's contract. They didn't spend much in free agency. It was really just about what can we do to kind of stay afloat and get to 2022 when we have three first-round picks and presumably a lot more cap space. Jalen Hurts was impressive, led the Eagles to a playoff berth, one of the league's best offenses over the second half of the season when they committed to running the ball with Hurts as the focal point of that running game. Well, now... In 2022, there are expectations on Jalen Hurts. The Eagles are coming off of playoff berth. They spent a ton of money this offseason, including trading a first-round pick and extending star Tennessee receiver A.J. Brown. And for Jalen Hurts, there might not be anybody in football who has more writing on the 2022 season. For Jalen Hurts, that could be... Mm about $100 million because if Jalen Hurts excels in this third season, makes it to the Pro Bowl, competes for an MVP berth, he's going to get a massive new contract with about $120 million or so in guarantees. If Jalen Hurts struggles and is not an NFL caliber quarterback in his third season, the Eagles will probably use their two first-round picks in 2023 to target a replacement for Jalen Hurts and pay him about $3 million in the final year of his rookie deal. So, looking at about $97 million in difference between these two scenarios for the Eagles' third-year quarterback. Okay, so Jalen Hurts has the universe riding on this season, and the Giants and the Commanders, Phil, at the bottom of this division, have what exactly riding on their quarterbacks? The Giants are just building credibility, uh, I would say. They just don't want to actively antagonize their own fan base during this upcoming season. Uh, But realistically, even though they have a solid plan, it's going to take moving on from Daniel Jones, which is not going to happen until next offseason. And the Commanders traded significant draft capital for Carson Wentz when the Colts were basically publicly trying to give him away for free on Craigslist in February. Then they fired their defensive line coach a week into training camp. And on top of all that, Pablo, as you know, if those are the most embarrassing things that happened to the commanders in 2022, it will be a banner year for the organization. That is where we are with the Washington commanders right now. Yeah, when the spectrum of possibility is generally bracketed by a railing collapses, or your owner refuses to testify in front of Congress in person. It does feel like, yeah, the Carson Wentz thing is kind of quaint. Well, there may be a congressional investigation into the Carson Wentz scandal if he doesn't last a second season with the third consecutive team. (laughs) And so at the end here, Bill, at the risk of having you throw the equivalent of an intercepted shovel pass... (laughs) What is your prediction as to which team is coming out of the NFC? Sadly, I, Pablo, will jinx an organization just like Carson Wentz has jinxed several organizations over the past few seasons. But I, against better judgment, still believe in Trey Lance Mm. as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. I think that would be a very exciting team to watch this year. I will say Bills versus Niners in Phoenix later in 2023. Bill Barnwell, I am writing down all of your takes so I can steal them for television purposes. 
And yeah, I'm excited to talk to you to preview the Falcons Titans Super Bowl. I'm just excited to see which of those two teams Jimmy Garoppolo is playing for. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us, man. As always, I'll talk to you soon, Papa. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.